Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Wow. That was awesome. Did you guys see that new intro? Oh, sorry, all you people who are just listeners. So lame. We have this awesome new intro that Francesco helped me with. Uh, just a listener who was like, hey, guys, um, those, the intro that you put on, I can do better than that. And I said, please, mm -hmm. please help me. You can do better because <laughs> yeah. I'm not a pro at this. Uh, but yeah, huge so thank you, better. Francesco. Oh, so much man, better. It, it looks like we, we have professionals working for us. Uh, well, we'll, we will swiftly disabuse our listeners of that notion <laughs> in this episode. Right, right. So, so Francesco, I'm going to link to his um, his YouTube channel below, um, where he uploads his VFX. He's, I mean, he's a VFX guy. He works for at an agency and does actual videos. So he's just he's a listener nice. who loved it, and he's like, hey, guys, so like, I, it's it's hurting my eyes to see your intro every single time because he noticed all the wrong details with it. So, huge shout out to Francesco for that. That was awesome. Uh, my, I have two favorite parts of the new intro. Yeah, and this is especially important for those of you that aren't even watching. <laughs> no, so he does. He adds the old map, the old maps, Tolkien maps. Yes, and he, yes. He does a he does a cool angle on the second one. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. But I love most of all, from a thematic perspective, that he ends with the ocean, and I think Tolkien would approve. So mm -hmm. the ocean is our background now um, for the ending shot in the intro. So yes. very cool. Yeah, I'm just surprised um, we don't see Galadriel swimming across. <laughs> <laughs> with little legs kicking by as you go no i'm, I'm not joking. too late so i got that, that in. <laughs> French we can have a we can have a can cut we do of that? that yeah yeah we, and we'll do it we'll do it for our twerk inquisition we'll have that intro <laughs> ah, <laughs> so good no i can't put more work on it uh anyway guys thanks for joining us hey this is our fifth time through uh on fairy stories and last week michael made the point that like try and find anybody who has done on fairy stories hey i did i found somebody but they didn't go through it over five separate episodes which might turn into six so uh you're getting a master's class here on fairy stories and so am i because uh michael knows the stuff and the discussions we're having are like it's it's bringing it to life for me more than it ever has in the past. And I've read it a few times before, but this, well, this is truly special. Same with me. You, you get so much more out of discussions rather than just reading it just because yeah. I've read it a bunch yeah. of times. Doesn't yeah. you, you just get so much more when you talk about it. Right. But I, I will say like this, this long period of time has taken us um, to finish on fairy stories. We're going to need a certain amount of, of recovery after we escape this, <laughs> the shackles of this so that we can be consoled by those around us. Huh? Hmm? It's a joke. Good joke. Good joke. So this chapter is called Recovery, Escape, and Consolation. Um, and we, uh, we're going to jump into it. But of course, before we do, guys, we have to let you know that you got to become a supporter. You, you got to become a member to get the extended podcast. Go to thewondering.com slash member. Join us there. Join our Discord chats. Ask your questions. This week, we're going to be talking um, about modern art, contemporary art, whatever you want to call it uh art that sucks <laughs> what we're gonna be talking about like is there is recovery escape consolation is that a, a part of that modern art like can we can we say that um there's some like, like does that play any part in uh art outside of the fairy story and how it's changed even how fairy stories have changed over the last 60 years 
Uh, so we'll talk about that. We got a quote from uh, Siguenza, who uh, who apparently in my notes here, like I totally lost it all. I undead it all or something. I don't know where it is. There it is. Uh, yeah, and like his his comments and thoughts on last week's episode about fantasy. Uh, and so I'd read it, but then that would kind of make the whole members block moot. So I'm not going to read the quote, but we're going to talk about uh, his thoughts on fantasy um, as they pertain to even Tour and Tourenbar again, because I think that's an important thing. That's I love the story, but it doesn't feel like it has recovery escape consolation necessarily, but something we'll dive into. So join us there, thewonder.com slash member or members. If you like plural, you can do that too. They both work. It's amazing what you can do with the internet. So join us there. All right, guys, we are on. But You're here, in. first of all, good dude. What Love you guys it. are together, Natalie Kim? Like, what's going on? You're here. So, Natalie Kim. So, those of you, those of you who are watching and maybe confused about our names, you need to read the last chapter, the chapter yeah. we're talking about, because then yes. you will understand. And you may or may not get a clue during this episode. Right. But I would like to point out that what Jonathan says at the beginning of every episode is absolutely true. We need subscribers. So, the, when we don't have enough subscribers, then we lose one of our windows, and Michael is forced to join Dan, and now we only have two. We're down to two windows, people. We're we down, need like, more. The costs of the, uh, of the extra screens on StreamYard are getting more and more expensive every year. <laughs> it's uh, Bidenomics and streaming. <laughs> no. no, but Michael and Dan are together in California. We are. In, in the same place. Yeah. It out. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm glad he thinks so. Because I do too. <laughs> guys. No, no it's good. awesome to see you guys together. We're, we're t- it's like uh, we're two thirds of the way there of getting all three of us together for a podcast. At some point, we can just get our schedules to line up and do it together. Uh, smoke cigars on podcasts, or is that against the rules? I don't care. Go ahead. No, I mean not tonight. I mean, oh, just uh, when we get a when we get a oh. trifecta of all sure. all in one place. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that in a good Belgian beer. I'll be very happy then. Um, okay, let's jump into this, guys. This is, we've spent, spent way too much long, way too long on this intro. Uh, but this last chapter is pretty cool. Lots of Chesterton. He starts and he obsesses over trees. Lots of Chesterton. He takes down sci-fi. He attacks electric lights, and he finishes with the gospel. So it's pretty cool. Just saying. <laughs> well, he starts with recovery, so why don't we start there? Since there's <laughs> oh, a lot well, there's of other that. things. Recovery. So, recovery, and this one, um, I, I was, I will say, I was a little, almost, I guess, confused by the idea of recovery. And and man, we can go into such detail on this, but maybe, maybe here's a place to start with a question that I'd have for you guys. As, as Tolkien talks about, um, I, how do I okay, define recovery for me? Like, what does he mean by recovery? What are we recovering from? I guess is the best way because it's there, but I, there's there. Am I missing the definition of, of the recovery from what or the recovery to toward what? Well, you can, you can, I think you can figure it out from our, from the definition that he gives. It takes him a few paragraphs to get there, but he does give a definition. He says recovery, which includes return and renewal of health is a regaining of a clear view. So clear view of what? Seeing things as they are. So it's a, it's a regain of a clear view of the world itself, of life around us. And mm. that implies that our regular existence um, has a character through which we, our vision gets blurred. We get not clear vision. We get, we get um, 
uh, we may maybe we see through a glass darkly, right? So so mm-hmm. there's a, a there's a reality of there's the reality of living in reality. So there's a there's a thing that happens with us where we get kind of tired of the familiar, and we we cease to see reality f- with the wonder and the and the um, hmm. and okay the, the thing which it deserves does it reality deserves to be marveled at, and we we stop seeing that or our vision becomes blurry and so recovery is that that ability to clear the vision and see reality for what it truly is worthy of our admiration worthy of our wonder Mm. etc very chestertonian actually yeah okay so which go ahead yeah i was just gonna add on like we forget and I, i i think that as people in our it's our nature at least as fallen human beings it seems like it's in our nature to forget and um like I think he uses the example of like colors and mm-hmm. of, of seeing green for the first time and being uh, being astounded by it. Um, he says we should look at green again and be startled anew by blue and yellow and red. And he says we should meet you know all these different creatures that you could meet in fantasy, and then suddenly behold. So it's like it's as if you're seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what Michael was saying is that that familiar familiarity, like. We, we just get used to things. We take things for granted. And I think we do this in our lives too. We like just going about our lives. We just go to work every day. We clock in, we clock out, we see our family every day. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think like it becomes so routine that we just, it's always going to be there. We expect it's always there. And then we, okay. we, we forget the preciousness of all those things. Recovery is a weird I, word for that for me, I guess. Recovery. Well, recovery. it, it in, in implies something in recovery of sight is what it is. Yeah, so okay. it's, it's returning to the way we should be looking at things. Interestingly enough, not perhaps surprisingly, but in an interesting twist, he references to build on what Dan said, he references what we do with that familiar thing um, by pointing out that we, that we, it becomes familiar to us because we loved it once because it had beauty once and we brought it to ourselves. So he says, um, about those things that are the things that we have to recover our sight about in the world. He says, they have become like the things which once attracted us by their glitter or their color or their shape. And we laid hands on them and then locked them in our hoard, acquired them and acquiring ceased to look at them. So, so so there's a, there's a, we reached out for the things that we desired that were beautiful to us, that were worthy of, of holding to ourselves. Our family Mm -hmm. is a good example. Mm -hmm. And then after a time, after bringing them to ourselves and hoarding them, we cease to look at them. And so we cease to see them, see them for what they are. I think this, uh, this part of the chapter is missing that good old, uh, good, um, real life example that I need in order to get a better glimpse. So let me give an example, right? So, and I have a quote from Chesterton. I think that that clarifies it for me because like when you mentioned Chesterton, like I, I thought of a quote from orthodoxy that I brought up. Um, but, uh, in the same sense that if you are on vacation all the time, right, you're not on vacation anymore. You don't enjoy it as a, um, as a separation from your normal life. It just becomes normal life. And that's essentially in a, in a, in a real sense, what he's saying is like, if you're, if the, the spectacular sunset and you see it every night, you've lost the ability to actually uh, uh, revere that sunset because it's just normal and every day it is the life that you lead and it has there, and, and so to regain that to to see that every day anew is is something special if you can regain that does that make sense right and maybe there's a way of regaining it so he says and he actually brings up chesterton directly here 
Yeah. And I'm going to let Dan say the word because I want to <laughs> hear Dan say the word that he brings up. So I, I felt really dumb when I was talking to Michael before recording this because I'm like, hey, it's that it's that thing that Chesterton talked about where he uses the word like more efoc or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I got to be very careful how you say that, I guess. More, more epic. And uh, he's like, you know what that is, right? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I, I, I get what he's saying, but he's like, no, it's, it's coffee room backwards. And it's this, this idea of taking something that's very common and everyday, just trite and looking at it from a different angle. And now it's, you, you kind of see it anew for what it is. Mm. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. And he goes on, on that same line of thought uh, where he's talking about Pegasus, like in the making of Pegasus, horses were ennobled. So like for, for people back in the day, probably a horse was just an everyday sight. Like, oh, you know, Bill's got a horse and Michael's got a horse yeah. and John's got a horse. Everyone's got horses, whatever. But like this idea of, of in fantasy, you have the Pegasus of something that's just swift and beautiful. And, and it makes you remember or see, see again for the first time. Oh, yeah. Horses are really cool. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. I thought that was really a really a really neat way of putting that. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second because um, first he he tackles Chesterton right. He says, in order to see the world anew, in other words, in order to get recovery, um, you don't actually need fantasy necessarily. You can just have humility, the way Chesterton yeah. talks. And so he, then he brings up Chesterton and the uh, more <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's what it look. That's what the word is. But he he then says, um, he, "Let's." But in addition to just having humility, sometimes that's not enough because at the end of the day, with humility and in, in the in the ability to come and look at a thing like a coffee room with new eyes to make it a new thing, ultimately he says that that is 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 not actually. Um, well, let me let me see if I can find it. Um, but it has, I think, this is the ability to see things with a new light. I think only a limited power. For the reason that recovery of freshness of vision, by the way, that's, that's your definition again, Jonathan. Recovery is freshness of vision. Mm -hmm. For the reason that recovery mm -hmm. of freshness of vision is its only virtue. The word that I just said may cause you suddenly to realize that England is an utterly alien land lost either in some remote past age glimpsed by history or in some strange dim future to be reached only by time machine to see the amazing oddity and interest of its inhabitants and their customs and feeding habits. But it cannot do more than that. Okay. So, so he's saying um, that fantasy goes in and then on to in the next sentence to say, basically creative fantasy does something new. So let's go to the Pegasus that Jonathan just talked about. My, uh, Dan yeah. just talked about, but sure. Oh, I mean, sorry, Dan just talked about, or 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 Nad, as we're calling ourselves today. <laughs> um, sorry about that. So, so what what Dan just said was that, or quoted from from uh, Tolkien was that the by the making of Pegasus, horses were ennobled. Well, what's the making of Pegasus? Pegasus isn't just a story about a noble horse. He isn't just Shadowfax, for example, which, who's you know a horse that can stand in front of the Witch King. Pegasus is a horse who has wings in horse other words fly we we've taken a horse and we've added the power of flight to the horse and the physical attributes that are required for flight and so and we ennoble horses by creative fantasy so that's the creative fantasy uh, the pegasus is a creative endeavor in the in in the world of narrative storytelling interestingly he says in the trees of the sun and moon 
root and stock, flower and fruit are manifested in glory. One can't help but, of course, think, even though Tolkien hasn't written it yet, or he may have written the beginnings of it, but he hasn't ever, uh, he hasn't even, there's been no publishing. We have the, the tree, the two trees in the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. He's actually going to have two trees which shine like the sun and moon. They aren't going to be of the sun and moon, but the sun and moon are going to come from them in his, in his new world. Um, and so it's really, it's interesting how he has such a, for him, there are certain concepts like this, like the tree of the, the trees of the sun and the moon, which are so powerful that he needs to incorporate them even into his own work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you're ennobling trees. You're making trees a, a better thing by having the trees of the sun and moon. Yeah. Pretty so, cool. yeah. So, and, and this goes back again to the green sun idea that he mentioned two mm-hmm. chapters, two sections back where um, it is an, uh, it magic. It is a magic of sorts. It is a, uh, the magic of the it is true sub creation to give wings to a horse because nothing else can do that and create it so vividly inside your own mind. Otherwise it just becomes, you know, a false representation of what it is either on paper or on a screen or in a dramatic, dramatic play. But, and I, and I would point out that in order for it to be, to ennoble horses, it was also necessary for a story to be told about a winged horse. So you have the mm-hmm. winged horse that is then, yeah. you know, you know, uh, captured by Perseus and used um, in Greek mythology. So, so the story um, is part of the, which is of course fantasy. Um, that's that's part of the the magic. Let me let me bring up this quote from Chesterton and see like this this I, I was I read this here as we were talking to so I apologize if I missed anything because I was trying to multitask into my head and that's really dangerous for men to do. So this is so from <laughs> he wasn't listening to you is what he said. <laughs> I mean that's that's the normal. I presume that no one listens. I have a lot of practice doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is from Orthodoxy. Uh, Tristan wrote, "When we are very young children, we do not need fairy tales. We only need tales." which is mm-hmm. interesting. Even then he's pointing out, right? The, the tales are, are, are fairy enough for us at that point. Mere life is interesting enough. A child of seven is excited by being told that Tommy opened a door and saw a dragon. But a child of three is excited by being told that Tommy opened the door. <laughs> Boys like romantic tales, but babies like realistic tales because they find them romantic. This proves that even nursery tales only echo an almost prenatal leap of interest and amazement. These tales say that apples were golden only to refresh the forgotten moment when we found that they were when we found out that they were green. They make rivers run with wine only to make us remember for one wild moment that they run with water. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. It's very except, uh, except except that his apparently his primal apple was green and not red. That's very interesting. <laughs> well, red delicious or not delicious. So I'm know. not talking about the variety. I agree with that. <laughs> but the classic apple is red. It is the color of blood and rubies uh, from, from story, uh, from, especially from the Greeks anyway. So yeah, that kind of touches on the, uh, on what Tolkien says in this chapter or this portion where he says all actual fairy story um, are, are largely about simple or fundamental things. But the simplicities are made more luminous by their setting. I thought that was a really interesting mm-hmm. phrase because he's yeah. when it comes down to it, it's just very, very simple. Like like you were talking about with, with Chesterton. Like we forget that apples are something wonderful. We forget rivers running with water. 
that's that's a wondrous thing and we forget that and it is it's interesting how when i go on vacation i love going to the beach or to a running river and there are and and one of the things i love the most is going to may sound a little odd but if i'm I like to sleep next to them and like take a nap, for example, hmm. I'll take a book out. I'll take a book out by the river or by an o- by on the ocean and I'll read and then I'll nap. The moment of waking up and looking across the water, especially if the sun is on the water is this return, this kind of thing that I think Tolkien's talking about for me personally, it's this return to this. There's just this wondrous sight where light across water. And before I've fully woken up in my very, um, crotchety old mind has started to infuse all my other thoughts. I just have this moment of wonder and it's just this beauty of light upon water. And I think that's the kind of thing that fantasy does in general, if it's done well. So let all me right, ask, that's, so that's recovery. That's recovery. How, let me, so let me, let me take an offshoot question. Cause I like doing these sometimes and kind of exploring new sure. things. Uh, in today's world, have we lost, is there less recovery in you know, the, the human being, the human soul and in, in the human experience uh, than ever before? Or is there more or is it the same? What do you think? Maybe because we have more stories than ever before that are accessible to people. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a thought about that, but I'm, I'm curious what Dan thinks. Sorry, what Nad thinks. What do you think, <laughs> Nad? I think that human beings have always had the same problem of forgetfulness. Mm. But I think that especially now with, with modern technology and, and modernism, I guess the, the, you know, the the post enlightenment that we've, we've, we've kind of become chronological snobs and we don't look back towards anything. And it's all about whatever's right here, right now, what's coming push button generation Mm -hmm. type stuff. I think there's probably less recovery than in the past. I think that in the past there was more, more of a, an idea of tradition, more of an idea of we need to look back to what our ancestors said or thought or, or telling stories. I think nowadays it's just, you know, it, it's just checking out Netflix and, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, yeah. Right. I agree. And I think, I mean, we have to keep in mind that what we're, when we say nowadays and when we're talking about our time, we're usually talking about first world problems, right? We're sure. talking, we're talking about a certain portion of the world. So that's true for our portion of the world, though, I agree with that. And I think, I think there's a, a sub portion of our society that goes even further into its decrepitude. It, it, it needs recovery even more because there's a part of our society that does something different. It recognizes the, the dirtiness of the lens. It recognizes that, that, you know, everything looks drab and nothing seems new and fresh. And, and there's no, that we, that we don't see beauty around us. We just see versions of the same old, same old, and it glories in it. It points it out. It, it dwells in the darkness. It dwells in the dirt in the foggy lens. It, 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 it's kind of like, yeah, this is the way it is. The world sucks. And do you have an example of what you mean? Uh, yeah, so, or, or... so pe- people that deconstruct things. So they talk about how, um, how did this come up? This came up recently where it's unusual to find people. Let's, so let's say people that are, um, that fight for uh, the environment and preservation of natural spaces, something which I think Tolkien would have 
would have um, agreed with the sentiment on, you know, preservation of forests, for example. Mm -hmm. Most of the people in the modern world who fight for the preservation of forests, you will never hear them talking about how beautiful the forest is. You will hear them talking about how ugly it is, what we do to the forest. You will hear they will spend all of their days focused on the ugliness and not on the beauty that they're supposedly is their raison d'etre. It's supposed to be the thing that drives them, that is the reason for, be, for being, is the environmentalist. But they never talk about how beautiful the forest is or the animals are. They never dwell upon the, the wonder of the stripes on the tiger. They, they, they instead talk about how terrible it is that we've killed off so many species in that same area. So, so I, they focus on the darkness and the drab instead okay. of focusing on the beauty. Hmm. So, so, so why would you say then there isn't as much, is, is it because um, this world, like Dan said, has taken over every aspect of our lives? For instance, I make a concerted effort not to read much news hmm. because there's so much of it everywhere all the time that I don't need all the bad news all the time because it just overwhelms you and you, and, and you need yeah. even more, more recovery than you would otherwise. I mean, we, we hear about the worst things in the world at our fingertips all the time. Uh, and so like when I use Twitter, I have blocked a ton of accounts that I just don't want to see the news from. I'm like, I'm here not for the worst parts of humanity. Um, and so I feel like not only is there less recovery in the sense that the wonder of that, that, a, that a good, as Tolkien would say, a good fairy story can bring you the, 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 the recovery that it makes you see, you know, you, you get to see, um, the sunset as an amalgam in your head, as an amalgamation of all the wonderful sunsets you've seen in your life and re-experience that, uh, but we need more recovery because we are in a, an even darker place mentally, I think, than, mm. than like, like, like individually, not corporately, not as a society, but I think individually there's so much more darkness right now than there has been in, I don't know in how long, right? I'm not a psychologist. I can't look back and say I understand when things were the worst. I mean, obviously civilization has been uh, a long history of destruction, disaster, and despair. But individually, I feel like, there are so many, like kids in particular, when you, when they get on, like when they're on TikTok all the time and when they're on social media all the time, man, it's mm -hmm. dark for them. It's really dark. Um, and they're reading less. So there's even less recovery. So we're in this sort of this spiral of, of, of like, we're <laughs> there's the mountain is bigger because we need more recovery and you're falling down this mountain and then you're accelerating it by all the things that are that, that, but by, you have no breaks anymore because the fairy stories aren't being read. They aren't being experienced. They aren't being loved and you're getting crap movies even. So even the recovery that you might've seen in a great film, uh, is no longer around. Uh, that's my little diatribe. Right. You know, it, that's brought home to me very powerfully in, um, a show that I've watched some of right now, but I don't think I'm going to finish, which is Yellowstone. And, mm. you know, here's a show for which, much of the great, the grand appeal is the sweeping vistas and the beauty of the natural world. And every character in that show is reprehensible <laughs> and unlikable. Yeah. Um, and with maybe one exception, but even then, not really. So, so there's, it, it, we, we can't help ourselves. Even when we have the beauty of Montana and Wyoming on display in front of our eyes, they have to fill it. We have to fill it with ugliness uh, of human characters. And, and so I, I think we've grown to love the darkness in that regard. So we need more fairy stories. That's the point is we, we, yeah. we need more real fantasy that gives our eyes that, that newness that, that sparks that, um, the, the recovery, the clear clarity of vision. Right. And so from that recovery, we need to escape. <laughs> right. From that and darkness. So in this section, the next, so the next concept is escape that 
various stories bring escape. And he starts out by railing about people that that criticize the idea of escape in literature. And he does it in a very Chestertonian way, actually, by pointing out that they that they use the word escape in a good way when it comes to something like if you want to if you're in a prison, you want to escape from a prison. And that's that's a good thing. But all of a sudden, when it comes to literature, if you're if you're turning to literature for that kind of escape from a mental prison, now you're bad. Now what you're doing, say, these these overly critical literary literary types. Um, now what you're doing is you're you're trying to you know, escapism. Now it's a critique and you're, you're trying to deny the real world. And he goes on these very, some very funny descriptions of, of how the real world is, is, is not that fun and maybe wanting to escape. Um, and he says they confuse the, the, the escape of the prisoner of, with the flight of the deserter. So if someone deserts something they, that they shouldn't have deserted, then that's recognized as a bad thing. And he, so essentially what he, Tolkien's doing here is an old philosophical thing, which is he's saying they use a word improperly. They, mm -hmm. they use the word escape. And what they really mean is desertion. Um, and that's not what we're doing, by the way, in fantasy. We're not deserting anything good. Like you're escaping the real world of your responsibilities and your obligations mm -hmm. and your duties. That, that, that's what they call escape. Right. And they rightly criticize that because it would be right to criticize somebody that just wanted to escape from your resp their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. But he's saying they misuse it because it turns out that the world um, <laughs> also he calls them Nazis. I just want to I just want to point out <laughs> he's the first one. He's the first one. This is, yep. Right. During World War Two, he called them Nazis. Yeah, yeah this is well, this is this is no. uh, 37. Did he start the 37, 39? Yeah, uh, before. 30, so he revised his essay in 39. So maybe this is after the revision because this is yeah. 39 is the. I get. I think it's, it's after te technical yeah. start of World War II. That's when uh, yeah. he invaded Poland. Poland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, among so, other places. But, but he didn't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. The, the, so the sentence I'm thinking of is he says he's talking about the person who miss who uh, confuses the escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter, and he says just so. In other words, in this way of speaking, a party, capital P party, spokesman might have labeled departure from the misery of the Führers or any other Reich, and even criticism of it as treachery. In other words, they're, they're saying, you're trying to escape from the Third Reich, yeah. you traitor. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and he, I mean, it's, Tolkien is, I mean, he's, he skewers, uh, he's known for skewering the, the Nazis, actually. But, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I had forgotten about this reference when, before we yeah. read it. I, it just occurred to me that this whole idea of escape, that escape is bad, that's exactly, uh, I mean, to take a completely contemporary example, that is exactly what Rachel, the person playing Snow White and the whole idea of like, oh, Snow White, it's, it's so old and we don't want this thing called love in it. And we don't like that. We've got to have representation and we've got to have the strong female character and the effeminate trodden downtrodden male right these are all the things that so what they're doing is they're injecting this world consistently all the time into these 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 fairy stories and so escape is not even possible anymore mm -hmm. it, it, because you're you're shackled within that world anyway because it's just reminding you all the time of the world that we live in and if it yeah. fairy story does that it's it's failed at the very beginning it makes you wonder about this modern movement that you're referencing Jonathan. Oh, not Jonathan. Sorry. Not an OJ. <laughs> not an OJ. <laughs> not Today, an OJ. I'm not, not an OJ. OJ. 
So, okay. <laughs> I hope you're not in OJ every day, but <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to be just OJ. today. Just today, I'm not in OJ. Um, but makes you wonder what, where does that instinct come from? Like, if the world is so bad to the to the people that that promote this kind of thing, the world is so ugly, and there's all these. Why can't we escape it? Why do we have to keep re-injecting this bad world into everything that doesn't have the bad world in it? Like, why do we have to make Tolkien's work, for example, reflect the modern world? What, like, what's because it's not valid. So... It, I don't. I think they believe it's not valid unless it does, because their primary function are these um, modern sensibilities that they have. Yeah, but city. so what? What they're saying is. I hate this modern world because of all the oppression that we have to go through. Also, any tale you tell me, I have to inject this hateful modern world but, into it. Yeah, but I would say they're, they're saying that the modern world that we're creating right now is better than this world. And so we're going to make, right? They're, they're, Are they? they're playing John Lennon's Imagine in their head all the time. <laughs> and they're imagining what this world should have been like when the author wrote it, if he would have been a, yeah. um, uh, an, an ally, so to speak. Of theirs. It's right. like so, the modern world is a giant prison. So if the modern world is a prison, who are the who are the prison who guards? Are the wardens. Who are the wardens? And and it, it seems like all of the ideologies that you see that are going on, it, 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 there's something. I, I get getting spiritual here, but there's something demonic about it. It just seems like all of the modern pushes, all of the modern movement of ideas, hmm. it's it's to keep us in the prison. It seems like. They don't want us getting out. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does seem a very dark impulse to to say it at one at, at the same time. This world is terrible and dark and oppressive. And also, if you tell me another story that isn't like this, I'm gonna have I'm gonna feel the need to inject this terrible, dark, ugly world into into it to somehow make it better or something dumb. Um, it, interesting because um, he he shifts from that and 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 goes from that kind of criticism to immediately start the takedown of the electric light. <laughs> this is my favorite. Like his, his example of the oppression of the modern world, the world is weighing, the of weighing him down as he goes outside and he's like, look at all these mass produced electric street lamps. These are Wait, awful. These you are know terrible. What? This is why he hates Narnia so much. Wait a minute. When did C.S. Lewis start writing? No, no, actually, it was after yeah. this. But... Yeah, it was. Okay. I, know. I know. So he goes outside and he sees a bunch of streetlights. He's like, I got to escape. I got to get out of here. <laughs> actually, <laughs> you know what's hilarious is given this the chronology, C.S. Lewis would have heard this essay before writing about the lamp. So, <laughs> so, so, like, the, so the lantern is actually trolling Tolkien. That's what yeah, it that's is. Right, that's right. He's trolling Tolkien the whole time. He's like, look, I'm going to write the magician's nephew now. I've and written the know, Crown of Blind Oaks. And we know that Lewis trolls Tolkien because he deliberately trolled Tolkien with the space trilogy Ransom. by making yeah. the, main, mm -hmm. the main character based completely on Tolkien, obviously based on <laughs> And Tolkien's mentioning apologies. Numenor in that hideous strength. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and that may not have ticked off Tolkien as much because no. he might have liked that kind of reference of like to an ancient time um, and something from the past. But anyway, it is fun, like you say, Dan, the fact that he says he says um, he calls the the uh, electric lamp a product of the robot age, capital R, capital A. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then, I, then he brings uh, back in um, only he knew. He says, these lamps may be excluded from the tale. That's the tale we ought to tell. Simply because they are bad lamps. 
And it is possible that one of the lessons to be learned from the story is the realization of this fact. But then he goes into what Chesterton says, and he says, basically, Chesterton noticed that whenever someone says, X and Y product has, has, have come to stay, or, you know, in American, the way we might talk about it um, you know, over the last few, uh, few decades is, you know, look, just deal with it. It's, it's, it's here. Um, you're not going to get away from it. You got to be on the life. right side of history. Oh yeah, and that has a, 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 <laughs> I know, a further I know. injection. Right. But yeah, I agree. And um, the well, it t- he talks about the march of science. You know, you know, oh. but he but he talks about how Chesterton noticed that every time someone says this thing is here to stay, that thing eventually gets replaced. It's, <laughs> by, it becomes obsolete and shabby. Right, yeah. obsolete and shabby. That's right. So so we we get here a first rate two paragraph. Um, rant by Tolkien against the industrial age and its products, mm-hmm. um, which he then transitions smoothly into a takedown of what he sees as the um, the industrial age taken to eleven in literature, which is science fiction. So we have on our podcast thought that maybe surmised that maybe some of the stories of science fiction might even. A translate into might even be a kind of fairy story. story. Clearly, Tolkien would disagree no. with us here. Yeah. And interestingly, in why he would disagree with us, he would disagree with us because of the products of the within those stories. What's found in those stories are products of technology in science fiction, which he mm-hmm. sees as a kind of soulless thing that doesn't ever meet the standard of of fantasy it doesn't ever meet a standard of subcreation because the things that it uses have no magic about them i think i think that's what he's actually as i was reading this i i started thinking about star trek versus star trek star trek versus star wars oh okay sorry <laughs> uh and and people you know rightly call star trek science fiction but star wars is often called science fantasy mm-hmm. because it's not the future of the earth. It is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is a fairy story. In my opinion, it's truly a fairy story, not meant like to meant to be escapist, right? It, it follows. Um, I, th- I mean, I think it follows a lot. It has magic. It has the things that we, that we see. It has escape. I think there's, there's a catastrophe in it, right? There's, uh, there's a lot of that stuff. And so I, I, I would have been, I would have loved to know what Tolkien thought about Star Wars as a fan fairy story. Cause I think it, that alone, it makes it completely different. And so that's why when George Lucas made midi chlorians be bacteria that gives you the force, people were like, no, it, it's, don't make it science. We don't want this science in star Wars. That's not, that's, that's not its place. That's not the story that we, that we came to love. So anyway, anyway yep. that's, that's what, uh, that's what I thought about when, when I read yeah, that he makes a really, he makes a really interesting comment when he's ranting about the streetlights that you know people are probably telling him just get over it tolkien the street lamps are here to stay you're not going to change anything and he goes like well these will these will be gone soon at some point whenever they come up with something better he's like you know what'll never change lightning yeah i love that yeah going going, going back to like the things that are always true they're they're always real and i think for him um that escape of fantasy is always going back to the simple things the things that do not change the things that are always there um, I thought that was interesting. And he also talks about like some, uh, some professor at a university who was all excited that the, that the university was going to be close to the roads and the factories. And he was talking about, Oh, you know, they're, they're close to real life. You know, we're, we're getting close to where all the, the hubbub is, you know, of, of life is going on. 
And Tolkien is like, you know what's more real than a factory or, you know, a noisy car? He has, he has nasty things to say about cars in this book, too. But, but he goes like, you know, like I think he talks about like the roof of a train station being glass. Mm-hmm. And they're like talking about, oh, isn't this great? It's so wonderful. And he's like, well, it doesn't really compare to the dome of heaven. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm. you know what's really great and it'll never change? Just looking up in the stars. Like, yeah. right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that might, that was one of my favorite quotes from this. And he says, for my part, I cannot convince myself that the roof of Bletchley Station is more real than the clouds. And as an artifact, I find it less inspiring than the legendary home, dome of heaven. The bridge to Platform 4 is to me less interesting than the Bifrost guarded by Heimdall with the Jalahorn. From the wildness of my heart, I cannot exclude the question. And this this sentence I'm about to read, I thought was pretty cool because it made me think of something, a, a sub-genre of science fiction, which I think Tolkien may have had more of a liking to. Um, so, and that's steampunk. So, he, he, from the wildness of my heart, I cannot exclude the question whether railway engineers, if they had been brought up on more fantasy, might not have done better with all their abundant means than they commonly do. So, it's it's... <laughs> It's it's common in one of the subgenres steampunk to have the the metal and workings of the industrial world become something like to have trains that look like dragons and 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 mm-hmm. you know they in fact in a way they are modern dragons they Tolkien would consider them worthy of fighting just like a dragon's worthy of fighting <laughs> of opposing and so the idea that you could be more creative with the with industrial with steel and metal. Um, and then what then what the reality of the industrial world and its trappings produced in England that that might he might be a little bit less um, um, acerbic towards some some of those varieties of or uses of in the industrial age. Ultimately, I don't think he would have liked it, but he at least would have found that the railway engineers might have done something more, had done something more. Um, so anyway, so he, so that's the. Um, that's the uh, escapism, right? So, um, go ahead. Well, yeah, he he. Uh, the uh, one one line I had highlighted here is his definition uh, of how there are more things profoundly to escape. After he rants about all this, though, he says there are more more profound things to escape from than. Um, the noise, stench, ruthlessness, and extravagance of the internal combustion engine. There are hunger, thirst, poverty, pain, sorrow, injustice, death. Mm. Um, and so even oh, after he, he it's, right. yeah, he realizes, he goes through that. And I thought like, um, oh, so this is an escape, but we, there, there's real escape too that's necessary. And Fairy Story can offer a little bit of that to, to those difficult things too. I, at least I think that's what he's saying. Yes, and and you're right. I I misspoke because he calls science fiction escapist literature um, because you're basically moving from the real world, not not taking the the technology of the real world and then moving beyond it, but you're taking the technology of the real world to such an nth degree that you that you just you act just as bad in that world, and it's not and the the things that that world offers have no joy and beauty to them they're just more mechanical they're more unreal um than than the world so that's escapist speaking of that it's sort of like the biggest uh unreal thing in star trek is that there's no more economy there's no more poverty there's no more violence 
everybody just happily is getting along now on earth and that's always been to me like uh -huh, really sure. people <laughs> thank you dan <laughs> sing it dan yeah did you did you catch this part of the i think this is right next to what you just read where he's ranting about zippers like he, he's talking about um getting rid of like the victorian clothing and and we'll have all this comfortable clothing that with zippers zip tie zipper ties he called yeah zipper ties yeah and uh He's, he's talking about how, um, and I think this is why he doesn't like science fiction. It's like, it's, it's this idea of taking technology to the nth degree where it liberates us from all the bad stuff we don't want to do. And then, and then what, what becomes of humanity then what will we do with all of this, like leisure and free time. And, and he kind of, he has, he has a line in there where he talks about, even if you go to some other planet, now you're taking humanity and its technology with you. And what do you have? You still have greed. You still have violence. You still have, yeah. you have all these things that you haven't solved with all of your technology. It's like, now you just have right. fallen humanity. That's more efficient now. <laughs> <laughs> more efficient and noisier. So he, he, mm. he has disparaging things to say with regard to escape about the airplane. He points out that one of the things that we try to escape is the limitations of the earth and our movement. So we, we seek to go have the perfect freedom of movement underwater and in the air that what he calls the noiseless, gracious, economical flight of a bird, that longing, which the airplane cheats, except in rare moments, seen high and by wind and distance, noiseless, turning the sun, turning in the sun. That is precisely when imagined and not used. In other words, you know, when you use an airplane, you realize it's noisy and, and, and it's a container you're sitting in and it's noisy and ugly. But what it's trying to do is truly escape, is have that graceful, noiseless flight of the bird, the mm -hmm. thing that can that is built to fly, and that that and and in a in a fairy story you can have that you can have real flight, you, mm -hmm. you don't have to have flight in a in a tin can a noisy tin can, um, so mm -hmm. so um, there's that and then there then he goes on to, about a bunch of other things like the talking of animals how that's this is a deep desire on our part and he seems to believe that the the desire shows a lack I mean if you're a Christian you believe or Jew you believe this because um, that there was a breaking at one point because Adam in the garden talks to the animals yeah. he names them and they obey him by their names and you know understood is you know he can he can understand them they can understand him and so Tolkien is saying that this this yearning for the speech of animals is a sign that we had it once and it was lost, yeah. which, is, which was interesting. Hmm. But the greatest escape is the escape from death. We might yearn for animals and we might have escape from loud combustion engines. And I think this informed, like that's, um, that's just, just two pages before the end, but that's um, like that, reading through the Silmarillion, that's like the central point of the whole thing almost because hmm. that's what causes the downfall of men is the wanting to escape death and they're unable to do it in the, in their real world. And uh, the elves can't escape life. So death to them is something that like they can't escape the specter of, of wanting death in a way that they can't ever achieve or, hmm. you know, to not be confined by this world any longer. Um, it helps you get him. I mean, he he here before he before he makes it explicit in um, or more explicit in the Lord of the Rings, and before after his death, his work on in the Silmarillion is published. 
he you can see here a window to how he thinks about elves and what they're what they're eventually going to be like in his own world that he subcreates. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of cool. I like that's one of the things I really like about on fairy stories. This whole essay is that you can catch these glimpses through a window of his own world that he's crafting at this point um, that we all know and we're we're familiar with from his work that's that's make you know much publicized now. But but yeah. um, back back at this time much of the references that we catch to the Lord of the Rings, anyone listening to this essay would have missed completely because they don't, yeah. they they're to them. Like nowadays people think when people, when, when most people who are conversant with modern media think of what an elf is, they think of Legolas. And, but back in those days they didn't. And, yeah. and they would have, they would have had no idea what he was talking except for the precious few that, knew the medieval literature and what the what the history of the elfin court was um in in the fairy queen and and all that's all that uh that deep and, and long theme that tolkien was speaking from i like how he says he finishes the section on death by saying death is the theme that most inspired george Macdonald." that was kind of that was kind of interesting one of the throwaway lines it'd be fun to read to go back and read some George MacDonald in light of Tolkien's opinions about him. I haven't, I've read, I've, it's been a long time since I've read anything by MacDonald. Is that true? Do you think, have I, you read enough? I don't know. I, I had forgotten that this line, I didn't uh, uh, register that this, even though I've read this story, this essay a few times, I never thought about it in light of that. So it'd be interesting because yeah, there is a lot of elements of escape from death. I'm not going to, I don't think we want to go into the details of like, of what George MacDonald wrote right now, but that would be really interesting to see to go back and see is Tolkien right. Let's read a book, let's read a few stories from George McDonald and see if he is indeed um, focused on the escape yeah. from death. Hmm. Hmm. All right. That's recovering escape, guys. I don't think we can move into consolation today. Consolation okay. in the epilogue. I think we should we should give it a pause here. Uh, because I'm really stuck on this whole science fiction thing because I love science fiction so much. Me too. I really do. So did you think Tolkien didn't like science fiction or he didn't consider it the highest form of fantasy or the highest form of a story that a fairy story? Can I, I actually think that Tolkien is mistaken about that, about science fiction. Here's why. I think Tolkien is actually reacting from his own. Wait, wait, vivid. did you say he's wrong? Yeah. On our yeah, podcast, I exploring I Tolkien? I did. That's Sorry, guys. You. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Are you waiting? Dan, Dan's waiting for the lightning to come down. <laughs> that, that thing was that thing that most real of all of all elements of the world that, that no one can escape from is lightning. Um, yeah. So, so you think Tolkien's so, wrong? He's he's incorrect. So in his I, well, I, well, I think I mean probably a better way to say it is I think that he's speaking from his own experience and his own great hatred of the abuses of technology. So in World War One and in yeah. the, the effects of the Industrial Revolution on the England that he loved, he saw the abuses of technology. But that actually doesn't mean that man's artificing nature can't be can't actually bring some beauty. There are some things mm -hmm. of technology. Um, that are created by man of, of architecture and technology that are not ugly. Um, there, are, there are. I mean, the, some of the Christmas lights, for example. Like when when you see Christmas lights, a, a, tr a Christmas tree is made more beautiful by Christmas lights done well. Um, mm. And 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 that's a, a and there's a there's a reality to 
I mean, you can, you, we can use technology for good um, and even for beauty, but I think Tolkien had experienced so much evil from technology yeah. that he, that he had a very visceral reaction against it. So anyway, that's I, my, I almost that, wonder if that, that being a product of his time too, that that was kind of like the heyday of modernism of this yeah. optimism that we're going to conquer the world. We're going to conquer space. We're going to, we're going to have mm. rockets. We're going to, we're going to be going to the moon. I, I wonder if like, it, it was a subduing of it all rather than an exploration of it all. Right. It, and I wonder if like that mm. reaction and on his hmm. part is just kind of a pumping of the brakes. Like we don't need to be doing all that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And science fiction was really nascent right then. Right. There was, it was so early. There was like the great science fiction authors. I mean, name a great science fiction author from before 1940. HG Wells. Yeah. Wells. Uh, oh, Asimov was writing. Asimov. I don't think Asimov. Uh, I, 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 I got to look up. I know most of his work was in the forties and fifties, but, um, but that would be interesting to look up. We prepared really well for this episode, guys. We're... I'll tell you, Isaac Asimov. His first short stories were written. I thought they were the like 30s, but a lot of fifties, some sixties. Oh. No, I don't see anything below earlier than the fifties. I've lied here. to myself over these years. Somebody's gonna. Were... What about Arthur C. Clarke? Was he earlier than Asimov? Oh no! Oh no! Okay. No, no, he was. Just... He was after. What about Bradbury? Bradbury's after. No, he was after. Yeah. He was definitely the forties and fifties. What? Um, what about uh, Huxley? When was when did Huxley and Orwell write? They're later, of course. But I want to know, like, what the what were well, the? He wrote nineteen eighty four and nineteen forty eight. Oh, forty eight. Okay, that's easy to remember. Yeah. Reverse number. Yeah. He flipped it. Huxley, um, nineteen fifth. No, that's a film edit. I mean, bibliography. Here we go. Uh, the twenties was only first. There we go. I knew it. I knew Brave, it. Oh, Brave wait, New wait, wait, World wait. was thirty-two. Oh wow! Exactly. So I caught Brave New World in in his 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 criticisms. I thought I caught it. So he talks about how um, in science fiction, the zipper ties. By the way, that's one of the aspects of the clothing of the mm-hmm. people in, in in Brave New World. Uh... Is is that they're always taking off their clothes and it's so easy to do because they oh. zip 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 zip. So and and he says that they're basically he he says that their morality remains. Huh, what happens in the future? This this the, uh, of science fiction. We have the same amount of lust. We have the same amount of you know all these ugly um, sides of us and hatred and and uh, uh, that that we had before. So I, I should read the actual. He, he makes some he makes some reference to having the zipper clothes so that they can get on. Uh... Uh, fast toys is what he says. Uh, maybe, maybe that's from Brave New I've World. I'm it. not sure. Uh, here, shall I read it? Yeah. It. They do. may abandon the full Victorian panoply for loose garments with zip fasteners, but will use this freedom mainly, it would appear, in order to play with mechanical toys in the soon cloying game of moving at high speed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And keep yeah, going. And to, to judge by some of these tales, they will be they will still be as lustful, vengeful, and greedy as ever. And the ideals of their idealists hardly reach farther than the splendid notion of building more towns of the same sort on other planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, not brave, that's not brave. That's not brave. Brave new world, yeah. but obviously, it's the beginning of science fiction. Yeah. Um, so. it's, you know, honestly, that's a very narrow view of science fiction too. Like, there, there, science fiction at this point, like the kinds of science fiction stories we we have, in my opinion, do like they're so they're so distant into the future that they're they're, They no longer resemble the world at all that we live in. Like you could say, sure. They've got screens like Hmm. 
they have windows now, but when you go to Dune, for instance, I feel like there's a, I'm sure you have war machines and things like that. Or if you go to, oh, what's, what's the book? Uh, it happens like 30,000 years in the future. Can't remember his name. And I see the title in front of me. It's been a while. Anyway, it's so different from this world that it is barely recognizable in the same way that like, look, they've got, they've got ships with screens and windows, just like in a fan, a fairy story, they still have houses with windows and doors. Hmm. You, you know, that the, the similarities uh, are stretched because they're so different. Yeah, I mean, to, but Tolkien just doesn't like towns. He doesn't like a, a clustered human, true, human, true. Okay. human dwellings. That's a good point. Um, and so, and so, the idea that we would go colonize and we build more mechanical cities on other planets, it would be. To but what if you're going world. to those places to establish space away from other people? Well, think about Tolkien's. I mean, I I, I like your point, Jonathan. <laughs> I, or, sorry, not no Jay. I like your point. Um, <laughs> Because and and I think about um, Tolkien's friend who wrote a story about another planet that is very much not about clustering towns. Paralandra is mm-hmm. a very different kind of um, sci-fi yeah. book about another planet, and and it doesn't have the clustered towns that Tolkien is complaining about. But it's also I, I think the distinction there is that it's not technological. It's 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 spiritual and mm-hmm. these angelic mm-hmm. beings these angelic beings show up and they transport them there and it's just magic. Mm-hmm. It's not really. It almost feels to me like C.S. Lewis is like saying, "No, no, we can write science fiction without what you're talking about. I yeah. can do it. Look, yeah. here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, the trolling version. Like it's almost <laughs> it's almost like the space trilogy is a response to see it, to Tolkien. Tol- oh wait, yeah. it is. Yeah, it is because yeah. we know that it was a contest between the two of them, or it was a bet that they did that Tolkien yeah. lost. They should have switched, he... man. Tolkien should have written the science fiction and I would have loved to see what we would have gotten then. That would have been awesome. Yep. Instead, That's also he... why he didn't write the, uh, uh, the sequel to the Lord of the Rings because it was so dark and it was just more, you know, kids getting into dark places and the world was just getting worse all the time and it was getting more crowded and there was more cities and everything was just bad news. Yeah. So he decided to stop. All the things he didn't like. All right. So right, we've gone over as, an hour, as is our want. <laughs> well, and we're still not done. We will do six full episodes on one <laughs> essay by Jared Tolkien. This, well, is what, this is truly, guys, exploring Tolkien. You know, uh, consolation, the last concept that we're going to cover next time, is worthy of its own episodes. Yes, it is. It is. Consolation and the epilogue ties right into that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, guys. We're going to shut it down, but we will go to our members block that you can get by going to thewandering.com slash members. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll be talking, I want to talk a lot more, more about this whole art thing uh, because that, yeah, man, like the whole idea of escape that we talked about earlier and that we need more escape now than ever before. We need more recovery than now than ever before. Um, and is that a reflection of the art around us right now? Anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, so go to thewinning.com slash members to get that. You can join us in our Discord chat and ask the questions because we're going to be giving a quote by Seguenza who has a great thought about Turin and uh, the fantasy that Tolkien wrote. Uh, all right, guys, we're off. We're off to the members block. Bye-bye, freeloaders.